Well, today we're gonna be talking a little bit about grace, about living in God's grace. God supplies his grace in abundance to us, but we don't always choose to live in it. Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, was a woman who chose to live in that grace, and it made such a difference in her life and in the kingdom, a difference God wants to make in all of us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to me if you would, or your device to Luke chapter one. We're gonna be looking at verses 26 to 38. And uh, while you're turning there, I came across this little piece. It said, evolution of mom, kind of got my attention. And it said, yeah, parenthood changes everything, but parenthood also changes with each baby. Here are some of the ways having a second or a third child differs from having your first. For example, your clothes. First baby, you begin wearing maternity clothes as soon as your OBGYN confirms your pregnancy. Second baby, you wear your regular clothes for as long as possible. Third baby, your maternity clothes are your regular clothes. (laughs) Anyway, preparing for the birth. First baby, you practice your breathing religiously. Second baby, you don't bother practicing because you remember that last time breathing didn't do a thing. Third baby, you ask for an epidural in your eighth month. (laughs) How about worrying? There's so many of these. Worries, first baby, at at the first sign of distress, a whimper, a frown, you pick up the baby. Second baby, you pick up the baby when her wails threaten to wake up your firstborn. Third baby, you teach your three-year-old how to rewind the mechanical swing. <laughs> at home, the first baby, you spend a good bit of every day gazing at the baby. Second baby, you spend a bit of every day watching to be sure your older child isn't squeezing, poking, or hitting the baby. Third baby, you spend a little bit of every day hiding from all your children. <laughs> anyway, motherhood has its challenges, ladies. Thank you for being the women you are, and I hope today will be a blessing. And. Uh, We're gonna be spending a little time with a girl named Mary. Unless you get overwhelmed, she wasn't as perfect as you think, but she was a highly graced woman because she chose to live in the grace of God. So many times we miss the grace that God is offering. Mary was a girl who didn't miss it, and she's a great example to us that we also can learn to live in God's grace. I love the way Luke tells the story. We often think of this just as a Christmas message, but there's so much more to it than that. And here's how he recorded it in Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was Mary's very close relative. She was six months pregnant with the one who would become John the Baptist. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is gonna have a child in her old age and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Let's pray for a moment.
God, you are always pouring out your grace. Undeserved favor. To help us in every moment of every day in all the situations we face. But so many times we miss that grace. We choose not to walk in it or listen to it or draw upon it. And we miss out on the blessing. But Mary is a great example of a woman who was graced by God and she chose to live in it. And the difference it made in her life and in all of our lives is obvious. So today, God, as we open up this word, help us to see how we too may live in the grace of God. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. In 2000, the Seattle Seahawks drafted a young running back out of the University of Alabama by the name of Sean Alexander. And by 2005, he had become the most valuable player in the National Football League. But beyond his playing abilities on the field, Sean Alexander was best known for his Christian character in life. Sean Alexander is one of the few sports stars who maintained his moral bearing in a sea of temptation. Due in part, he said, to the grace of God given through his mother. In a book he wrote called Touchdown Alexander, he told a bit of the story. He said, at the University of Alabama, I was meeting women from a lot of different backgrounds. My mother had taught me never to to exploit women, that sex was meant only for marriage, and to treat women with respect. I knew the boundary lines it wasn't right to cross. I knew if I didn't keep my focus, I could fall, and it could occur any time. And one time, it almost did. It happened the first year of college when I'd gone home for a visit. To protect her privacy, I'll call her Sharon. One night we were alone in my room while my mom was gone. We were kissing and I thought seriously about a lot more. But something inside me kept whispering, this isn't right. Just then the phone rang. It was my mother. And she asked, everything good, Sean? Uh, yeah, mom. I said, it's good. Well, what's going on? Oh, nothing, I answered. Sharon is here and we're going out to eat and probably go to a movie, something like that. Okay, that's fine, Mom said. I'm going to stay in covenant with your grandma tonight, so I'll call you tomorrow. As I hung up, he said, thoughts raced through my mind. What am I doing here? Something isn't right about this. This is so easy and nobody else will know, but I'll know and God will know. It was more than wrestling with my thoughts. I was in a full-out fight. I had to decide who my body would serve, and just then... Sharon leans in close to me and is very inviting. My thoughts were racing. Mainly I was thinking, am I one of those rotten guys who says he loves Jesus but folds when it's easy or when he won't get caught? No, we can't do this, I finally said. Do what, she said. We can't do this. Why not? We're not supposed to. What does that mean, Sharon asked. I jumped up and pulled her to her feet. It means we're going out. I hurried her out to the car. We drove to the mall. That was the closest I ever got to crossing the line before marriage. Mom's phone call had kept me from making a big mistake. Many times I've been grateful to my mother for calling exactly when she did. People, that phone call in that moment was God's grace. And Sean Alexander chose in that moment to listen to God's grace and to appropriate it and to obey it. 
And it kept him from making a huge mistake. God's grace shows up for us in many forms. Sometimes it's a call from mom that keeps us from making a terrible mistake. Sometimes it's a variety of other ways where God speaks to us in the quietness of our heart or in some other way in a moment when we need it most. God's grace is his undeserved favor and it's always being poured out on us. The food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink, every beat of our heart is God's grace. And ultimately the gift of Jesus and the salvation he brings all by God's grace. But so often the Bible says we miss the benefit of it. We don't live in the grace. We don't walk in that grace. We don't obey that grace. Do you remember the warning from Hebrews 12 verse 15? See to it, the writer said, that no one misses or falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That when God speaks to you in that gracious moment to keep you from doing something or to direct you to do something else, if you don't listen to it, a bitter root can grow up to defile. Or what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Don't make nothing when God is giving you grace. Arguably the most graced woman ever was a young woman by the name of Mary who was chosen to be the mother of God's own son, Jesus. And the message from Gabriel to Mary was startling and profound. The angel shows up in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to a town in Galilee, it says in verse 26, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And look, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Highly favored is the word highly graced. It's the same word. Mary, you have been highly graced by God in this moment. And the significance of that was that word grace means unmerited favor. God made this choice, not on the basis of anything in Mary. She is not to be worshiped. She is not to be co-redeemer or intercessor. She's not the mother of God. She's the mother of Jesus, God in human flesh. But the thing that God saw in Mary was a woman who knew how to respond to God's grace and how to live worthy of it in the moment. And Mary becomes a model of how God wants every mom, every dad, every person to respond to his grace that way and live in it. Because God desires each of us to live a life worthy of the grace we have received. So how did Mary do it? Well, there's a number of ways, but two that stand out here is she did it by living a life of moral purity and faith-filled beauty. Mary lived a life worthy of his grace by living a life of moral purity. It says in verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive, give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? You know, it's hard to live morally pure in a sexually charged society. I was uh, reading a priest by Jeremy Bassett, who's a pastor from Oklahoma City. He was telling how his five-year-old niece, Olivia, and her best friend, Claire, were participating in a nativity play at school, five-year-olds. Claire was playing Mary, Olivia was an angel, and before the show, a young boy was going around the dressing room repeating, I am a sheep, what are you? Each child responded politely, including Olivia, who proudly declared she was an angel. The boy then turned to Claire, still struggling to get her costume on with her mother's help, and he repeated the question. I'm a sheep, what are you? And Claire simply said, I'm Mary. Well, realizing he was face to face with the lead character, he felt he needed to justify his own role. So he says to her, well, it's hard being a sheep, you know. (laughs) Claire, equally serious, responded, yeah, but it's hard being a virgin, you know. (laughs) Well, apparently that's true especially in our world. I was reading a a study that was recently done in 2017 among high school students across America. 41% said that they were sexually involved in high school, 41%. And the moral picture of our nation doesn't get any brighter after high school. I got a whole lot of stats I'm not gonna bore you with, but some of these are stunning. You know, the multi-billion pornographic industry reports that there are 28,000 views on their websites every second in America. 28,000 views a second. The number of adults, this other report said, who have encounters with someone other than their spouse, 26 million a week. Not surprising when you read that 70% of television shows feature sexual content and the number of sexual scenes in top-rated shows for teens, 6.7 incidents an hour. Put these hormone-enhanced kids with that much visual input into schools and godless environments where morals and absolutes and purity are not taught and you have a recipe for disaster. But God always has a better way. God always has a grace way and he provides a grace way to take it. But there are fewer and fewer people who walk in that grace. Mary was not one of those. She grew up in a village of Nazareth, not on the main trade routes, but a caravan village nonetheless. And she would have had ample opportunity to be exposed to the more base elements of life. Not to mention the less than moral influences that were coming out of Rome. She was betrothed, pledged in marriage to a man named Joseph. Betrothal usually took place in that culture between the ages of 12 and 14, with a marriage to ensue within a year of betrothal. So Mary was most likely a woman of 13 to 15 years of age, pledged and living in total moral purity. In fact, make no mistake, the Spirit of God mentions three times in this short text that she is a virgin, which can also mean young woman, but in this context points to Mary's moral purity. In fact, She even responds to the angel's announcement in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? She spoke it in the present tense, 
which means implies something like this. How is this going to be since right now I am a virgin as I have always been up to this point? So how is this going to happen? Her innocence and her moral purity apparently were well known because when she makes the trip to go to Elizabeth, her close relative, and she tells Elizabeth, I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit, you'll notice Elizabeth never questions the statement. Well, of course you are pregnant by the Holy Spirit, for I know you, there would not be any other way that you would be pregnant. Amazing. Mary apparently had not only a purity of body, but even more important, a purity of heart. Do you remember when Jesus teaching in the Beatitudes the eight keys to experiencing God's grace and blessing? You remember Beatitude number six, Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 8? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart, pure at your core, purity of soul, immaculate, not sinless. Mary was a sinner in need of a savior but she was chaste and set apart, holy and unstained, which is why Mary could sing so beautifully this Magnificat in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 46, where she gives such praise to God and acknowledges his holiness and her desire to live holy for him. Moral purity is the standard God wants for all people, but it begins with a purity in our devotion to Christ, that if we are a Christian, we are devoted wholly to Jesus and we are not prostituting ourselves to lesser things or letting other things have his rightful place. Do you remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul said in verse two, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. In other words, I, I'm wanting this for you in a jealous way because it's the right thing for me to want. I want it and I want you to have it. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may have somehow been led away from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So if someone preaches a Jesus other than the one we preached, you go for that. If they preach a different gospel, you go for that. And I'm praying that'll never happen. I want you to be purely devoted to Jesus. I want to present you as a pure virgin to him. People, isn't it great to know that no matter where we've been in our past, when you come to Jesus, you have a new start. And you have every day the ability by God's grace to offer yourself as a pure virgin to him. I'm living for you today, Jesus. No matter what happened yesterday, I'm living for you today. I'm living for you today. A purity in our devotion to Christ, but also a purity in our moral, physical, and mental lives. So much so that we pursue those things out of a purity of heart. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, he said, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. One of the evidences of a pure heart is what we're seeking, not what we're running away from, but what we are pursuing. Those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, Paul said, We'll flee the evil desires of youth, but we're going to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Remember when David wrote Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man or a woman, for that reason, keep her way pure? By living according to your word. People, there are many voices screaming at us every day. 
Voices that are calling to us to follow them, to listen to them, to go the way of the world, the way of the culture. And usually we give in to the voices that are loudest or more prevalent or most often heard. That's why God wants his voice to be preeminent in our life. I was reading a piece by uh, Gary Oliver. He's a clinical director of a counseling center in Denver. He said, if a farmer doesn't plant seeds, he'll never harvest a crop. Doesn't matter how weed-free his ground is, he has to plant and cultivate good seed. In the same way, we can only reap a harvest of purity and integrity by planting the good seed of God's word into our lives. I'm not talking about merely reading the Bible. I'm talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to plant the truths of Scripture deep into our hearts and minds through consistent Bible reading, memorization, meditation, and prayer. To be effective and to remain pure, truth must be planted in our hearts daily. Moms and dads, our kids aren't going to learn purity of heart and mind from any place but you and the church. God's righteous, holy standards are set down in his word. Our kids need to hear them constantly, but more than that, they need to see them modeled in us. So don't be afraid to screen what your kids watch to make sure your standards are the same is what's important. And don't be afraid to say wrong is wrong and right is right. But to make sure that your standard is in keeping with God and is a standard of integrity. God didn't call us to purity to to deprive us of anything, but to protect us. And by his grace, he has revealed the keys to a life of moral purity and integrity. We have only to listen and choose to listen to God and his voice in those moments of decision. And to experience the grace of that moment, just like Mary did. And people, I know that many of you may be thinking, you know what, it's too late for me. I've been too immoral. I've been involved in too many wrong things. Don't you believe it? One of the wonderful, wonderful truths of God is that he will forgive. He does forgive. But the key is what's found in 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The real key to moral purity and presenting yourself each day as a virgin before God is to call the wrong behavior in your life what it is. It is sin, and I'm guilty of it. And then he went on to say in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you know that is good news for an old sinner like me? Purity of heart, living in his grace. And not just moral purity, but Mary lived worthy of God's grace by living a life of faith-filled beauty. When Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Faith-filled beauty. People, the the world's version of beauty does not exist. Let me say that again. The world's version of beauty does not exist, which is why it constantly has to be fabricated, 
created and sold to get anyone to believe it. Take a moment and watch this minute or so video put out by the Dove Soap Cosmetic Company. See, the world's version of beauty does not really exist and they know it. That's why it has to be constantly created and shaped to get you to believe it. No wonder our view of beauty is distorted. I was reading a piece from Psychology Today magazine, a piece written by Hera Moreno who writes about the constant pressure girls face concerning their image. And she said, deprived of an internal compass, girls compete to be the hottest, turning colleges into incubators for eating disorders and numerous unrealistic, self-imposed expectations. And guys, as a fellow man, if I could speak to you just for a moment, do you know who sets and sends the most destructive messages about beauty? We do. We men do. See, rather than simply adoring the package our wives come in, women are often encouraged to have a bigger this or a smaller that or a different something else. And every time a man looks at pornography, the only message you're sending to your wife is you are not enough for me. Ladies, there's nothing wrong with wearing some makeup, having your hair styled, and doing some things that make you feel pretty. Nothing wrong to get a new dress and seek to look your best, but real beauty, the way God defines beauty, the kind of beauty that pleases him, is much deeper than that. The angel said to Mary, you have found favor with God. You have found grace with God. You're highly graced. And God approves of how you're living in his grace. Mary was living a faith-filled beauty that came from within. Look at her response when the angel said, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. This is God's plan. He's going to do this. He's going to overshadow you. This is what you're going to name this son. And here's what he's going to be. And here's what he's going to do. And here's how you fit into the picture. And Mary responds in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. He didn't need to say anymore. He knew Mary believed the message and that she would offer herself to God to obey it. She would live in the grace 
you believe what God said because no word from God will ever fail. Look at what Elizabeth said when she hears of Mary's blessing to be the son of the, or the mother of the Messiah, verse 45. Blessed is the one who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. A response of faith that reflects an inner beauty that's pleasing to God because without faith it's impossible to please God. It's exactly what God said he was looking for. Do you remember in 1 Peter 3, verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. It's the unfading beauty. The word is it's not corruptible. Ladies and gentlemen, too, you know that outwardly, the Bible is correct, outwardly we are wasting away. Uh, We're not what you used to be, and you're not what you're going to be yet. Um, You can do whatever you want to the exterior, but you can't stop the progress of time and what sin has done. It's fading. But this kind of beauty never fades. In fact, it gets stronger and stronger. The word beauty is the word adornment from where the word cosmos, from where we get our word cosmetic. It literally means to make order out of chaos, which is a pretty good description of most people's morning mission in front of the mirror, make order out of chaos. But the word isn't about making order of your face, it's about getting the chaos out of your life. It's about living a God-ordered life. This is done through a gentle and quiet spirit that's surrendered to God. It starts with this, God, you are running things, not me. You are the Lord, not me. So if you're in this and you want this, I'm in favor of it. Just like Mary responded, may it be done to me as the Lord has said. It doesn't mean you are an unopinionated wallflower who never speaks up. That's not what the gentle, quiet spirit is about. But it does mean that when God speaks, you respond to the grace with no argument. It's a gentle spirit, a grace of the soul spirit directed towards God. It is meek, not weak. It's strength under control. It's very closely linked with the word for humility. When God speaks, we do what he asks. I don't have time today to get into verses 46 through 55, Mary's Magnificat, her response to God in this beautiful song. But it talks about God's majesty and sovereignty and he's the Lord and he's the mighty one. He's performed mighty acts and all these things that God has done, bringing down rulers, feeding the hungry, helping the servant Israel. And look at verse 55, to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. God, you're fulfilling your word to Abraham right now in me. I believe that. You promised that through him would come many descendants, ultimately the Messiah. And somehow in your grace, you have put me in this line. And I believe you. I believe you. You're fulfilling the promise. It's a life of great worth in God's sight, Peter said, because it looks so much like Jesus. People, there was nothing in Jesus physically that would attract you to him. Those pictures you've seen of him, they're not the truth. Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, verse 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. You wouldn't be attracted to Jesus physically. 
But it was his gentle and quiet spirit that attracted people. It was the vision of God they saw in him. He was God in human flesh. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. You don't have to strain under the world's view of this stuff. You come to me. You learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Enough. And in me you will find rest for your souls. That faith-filled beauty pleases God. And that's the beauty God found in Mary, apparently. He wants to find in us. It has nothing to do with outward appearance. You know, I find it telling in Proverbs 31, Solomon is the author. If Solomon's the author, he knew a lot about women and a lot about beauty. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines of 700 wives of royal birth. When it came to physical beauty, he had his pick. I find it interesting in Proverbs 31 in the epilogue of the Book of Wisdom, he writes this in verse 30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The man knew what he was talking about. He had seen beauty of every kind, but it doesn't stay. And it's deceptive. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned. A life lived in God's grace who makes the most of each of the opportunities. That was Mary. I want it to be me. It could be any of you. And the message God sent to her couldn't have been clearer. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. I thank God for all of you who live in this grace. We are not perfect people, but God extends to us grace every day to live the life he's called us to live. And those of you who are choosing to live in that grace are people that God is using every day to make a difference in ways that you probably don't see and your family doesn't see, but God sees. And ultimately, you will see the fruit of it. So I want to say thank you today for being such a people. You know who you are. And God's grace is going to be poured out on all of us again today, and we need to live in it and make the most of it. Because I believe when we do that, we are pleasing to God. And maybe the words given to Mary would be true of us, that you who live in this grace are highly favored. And ladies, especially today, I hope you know that when you are living for what God has called you to be and to do, whatever it is, that God will be with you. God will be with you, just as he said he would. God, thank you for today. There's a lot in this for all of us. It's a lesson I cannot afford to miss. The grace extended to us in each moment of every day is something we need to grasp and live in, to learn to recognize, to respond in lives of moral purity because we are fully devoted to Christ and presenting ourselves as pure virgins to Jesus each and every day, grateful for your forgiveness and your mercy.
And we want to be a people that has a faith-filled beauty, that believes that the word of God will never fail, and that those who trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. So God, be honored in our lives. You are still pouring out abundant grace. May we found to be living in it for your glory and our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.